again it, to the third place. I stammered there for a second. Oh, well. But I'm doing all right tonight. Uh, this is now actually the third podcast in like four days for me. So this is the living in life in the fast lane for me at the moment. But it's been wonderful. I get excuses to drink several times a night, <laughs> several times in a week and i don't see that as a problem nor should you listener but enough of that uh i'm here tonight with a very special guest an alumni the first alumni returning for third plays <laughs> you you heard him on the on the what was it the fourth yeah the fourth episode where we covered night trap and leisure sweet larry which i i adore that episode so much uh it is alex how are you alex Oh, I'm fabulous. <laughs> it's a it's a unseasonably cool spring day, and I'm happy to be spending it with you. On a, on <laughs> to be the, I feel very honoured to be the like the first returning guest. Well, I, I sort I, of, I I think I said in the first episode it was great to be able to track, um, the progress of this podcast from um, idea to fruition. And now at this point in time to be able to like track it through all the episodes you've done it's been it's been like yeah it's a really special podcast and it's, yeah, it was an honor to be on it and it's an honor to be on it again because yeah, it's, it's become a really fantastic thing yeah we're this is episode 12 so you were on force so that was i'm doing my math <laughs> for a second that was eight episodes ago uh, and I, I hold dearly that episode of ours where we got so hammered by the end of it, <laughs> screaming about uh, just why ratings boards don't are awful and should be banned. And yeah, uh, I, I, I literally can't remember a single thing that I uh, said <laughs> on that ne episode. Ne neither do I. I mean, but I think that's what made it so fun is that there was a level of mystery uh, seeing yeah. what would happen when it came out but i know a lot of people loved it so much uh <laughs> and it makes me happy to know that we talked about some very early games early in the sense of history games and uh i personally uh knew i would have you back on very quickly because it's like well i can't say no to having alex on for a billion episodes so i I figured we would I would bring you on for a game that you've actually played recently, as we mentioned on the last time, your recent uh indoctrination into being a gamer, your your revival, your revival era of gaming, <laughs> uh, which is heavy rain, the game of discussion tonight. But before we get to that, I wanted to ask since you are the first returning guest, and normally I ask a guest their sort of gaming history. Instead of that, I will ask you, what have you been playing recently? What's what's the Alex recent adventures? <laughs> well, recently, well, recently, in honor of yourself, I've been playing um, a little bit of Parappa the Rapper. Oh, yeah. Which has been, <laughs> been fun. It's been a really fun game. It's been until fun minus I get, yeah, stage <laughs> until four. I get stuck and i'm still stuck on that fucking chicken and i can't get beyond her i like i can't <laughs> it's, it's like it's truly i don't know how to comprehend what the game is doing at that point 
yeah, in I mean... time. It seems completely unpredictable. And so, yeah, that was the last game I, the most recent game I played. And um, I keep returning to it, and I can't get past that chicken. What well, one one day you uh, to 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 your, I will say the because you're playing the remaster on the PS4, and I think the mm-hmm. remaster legitimately breaks that level because I do remember that game. That level was hard on the PS1. It was definitely the the random difficulty spike in the game for some reason probably to keep kids to rent the game like they get they hit the sort of proverbial wall in the game mm. and the, and they struggle and they can't beat it in the weekend and so they rent it again the next weekend or buy it but and you know that old game is made for CRT TVs so the input latency is much different than on a 4K TV even though 4K TVs have decent input they're not instant like a crt was so i think in the process of them porting it they i think they legitimately screwed up that level where the inputs make no sense because you're seeing the buttons go on screen you're seeing and you're quite literally like you're you're copying uh the chicken or her verse and so when you do it the game says you fucked up and it makes no sense because <laughs> it doesn't follow the logic of the game. Even, even if you're like the smidgest bit early, the game is still like, no, you didn't do it right. Or if you're a little late, the game says, no, you didn't do it right. Some of it, it honestly feels very random. And I don't understand why yeah. I don't even, and especially in a remaster, you know, a remaster is supposed to fix problems, not create worse problems. And, yeah. and it was supposed to be like the anniversary <laughs> thing for the series. And I more or less, I think that that glaring oversight probably killed any sort of reverence for the little dog anymore. But, you know, I, I find <laughs> it very cute that you've been struggling to defeat a chicken. There's there's a yeah. certain there's a certain like just like cute comedy to that. And but I think. I think at least you're get you've gotten the sort of core essence what I was trying to cover in my solo episode on Parappa. So oh, that yeah, makes definitely that that makes it's me glad a, that that somebody you know somebody's playing something that I mentioned. So, anyways, oh no, definitely, definitely, and it's a very, it's a incredible game, and it's really the music is sort of intoxicating, and that's what leads me to be playing this one level dozens of times. <laughs> Um, but I've been, yeah, like I've been consulting game guides. I've been looking at forums. <laughs> I've been trying yeah, to I... figure out anything I can do to defeat this chicken. <laughs> and it just, it seems like truly random. It Truly random how how you're supposed to respond and how exactly you're supposed to put the inputs in at the right time. And it's completely entirely befuddled me yeah (laughs) it i will say when i was replaying the game before i recorded it it took and i you were experiencing this because i was messaging you at the same time i was (laughs) it 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 took me a bit and i think i just got really lucky where i got it after like the seventh try i was like Mm -hmm. okay it seems like the, the inputs want me to be early and I'll try that. And it seemed to work. I still think it was completely random, but mm. at least I guess I'm not alone because a lot of people have voiced this problem. And the fa- and the sad thing yeah. is, is that 
Sony and that remat that developer who remastered it are never going to touch it. That which is sad, but I think in spite in spite of the demon chicken, uh, you know, in her in her seafood cake, uh, I think at least you're getting <laughs> at least you're getting the core essence of uh, Parappa, which always makes me uh, happy to know. Um, and everyone should listen to that solo episode, which is really great. <laughs> and I think really, I think really. It's a great little moment with Sam, and it's this this perfect little uh, encapsulation of everything you love about games and the way you sort mm-hmm. of get invested in them and the and the entire sort of passion emphasis on passion project that is <laughs> your podcast. And I think I think those solo episodes are very special, and I think oh, hearing you, you play them and hearing the ambience you've built around. Um, your show and within the games i think yeah they're really special and i think they're crucial to the story if you will exactly Uh, (laughs) but other than one little rapping dog is there anything else that has caught your eye in recent memories or recent weeks Um, i've been playing a bit of need for speed heat which the zoomer zoomer simulator (laughs) the zoomer simulator because i liked um one of my early gaming experiences was with need for speed most wanted i think yeah and i've always liked um racing games and car racing games and yeah this has been really enjoyable it's like has all this sort of as you say like zoomer simulator narrative around the actual gaming of you you and your you you and your colorful cast of p and your poc poc kids yeah, yeah all my yeah. poc friends and <laughs> but, and <laughs> very like, quirky and cool and i love when you boot the game up for the first time it's like here pick your avatar and there's like one white guy in the entire yeah. lineup it's, <laughs> it's like all all varieties of like other races and it's just like one white guy and it's like <laughs> uh, it's it's so funny because there's like I think it probably represents the need for speed audience of today. It's just like mm-hmm. seeing the earth like most wanted where it came from. It's it's kind of funny how they've adapted with the sort of market. Uh but I yeah. de- I generally do think heat I do think Need for Speed Heat is actually a great game. It's more or less most wanted, but like set in Miami, Florida, and I think it accomplishes its goals better than most modern racing games where it keeps the sort of gross microtransactions to almost non-existent, which is extremely rare for an EA game today. Uh, But yeah, I, I, I love that you're playing Need for Speed. I, I I do think it's a game that everyone should give a try, especially if it is cheap, I say it's not worth like more than like, $30 Thirty dollars uh, mm-hmm. for a purchase, uh, but I think anybody can have like some dumb fun with the game, and it it definitely is also challenging too. It's not even really an easy game. It it it's easy in the races, but once you race against cops, like the game actually like presents an, a genuine challenge. Uh, oh yeah, definitely. Which which is also refreshing in today's age of games being babyfied for everyone uh for game journalists to get done in a weekend to pump out their review um, <laughs> yeah. but before was, I, was, oh, I was just gonna say there's always a, the appeal of um racing games was a way of like connecting me with 
I don't know if this was a thing growing up with you, but growing up with me, like all my male friends would be interested in cars and they'd be interested in cars and different types of cars. And I was never interested in cars and I'm still not interested in cars. And, <laughs> but like Need for Speed and these racing games were a way I felt I could be able to connect with these friends. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting to see how, so I wonder like, yeah, I think you're probably right that the Need for Speed audience has changed, but I wonder if it is, there is still a part of it that is like that classic audience that are interested in cars, interested in seeing how cars work and playing mm -hmm. as these different types of cars mm -hmm. and are perhaps like a little bit annoyed at all these, um, all these sort of narrative elements they have to employ to essentially shoehorn in like the diversity and all those sort of requirements that you know come with any sort of contemporary storytelling like these this could just be a game where you are playing as the car yeah and you don't have to have any human characters involved but because you can't you know deliver on whatever requirements you've set up whether yeah. Mm -hmm. um formally or otherwise without putting in actual human characters you have to have all this set dressing around it yeah and set dressing <clears throat> that as i think i mentioned a message to you um like the original most wanted games you have the idea of like battling the cops as like you know you're cool you're like on that sort of Tony Hawk register where you're a cool sort yeah. of anarchist breaking mm -hmm. the law. You don't care. You don't give a shit. Mm -hmm. And now it's sort of very much like very like Antifa. Yeah. -cab. <laughs> yeah it's <laughs> the it's cops that... hate you because you're a fizzy head mulatto, that sort of thing. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Like it's like, you know, heat kind of like doesn't go that far, but like you can see them like, dipping their toes sort of just to appease any appease an audience that more or less will never touch a need for speed game in their life because mm -hmm. that i mean touching a need for speed game essentially means like acknowledging that like you like cars and liking cars is a predominantly male thing and i just can't yeah. see like the quote-unquote fabled gamer girl like booting up need for speed heat <laughs> no. with like it's no, reggae with its reggae and rap like soundtrack <laughs> like and... and there's still so much of the cars so much reverence towards the cars yeah. like any of the human characters really do feel um yeah. and feels... aside to the cars because you're yeah. the cars you're not playing you're not running around as a human character you're playing yeah. as the car it feels very like they are they were <clears throat> it's like an obligation because like the earlier games had a story therefore we have to have a mm. story but how do we make a story that's compelling and I say compelling in air quotes with like a racing game and normally racing games can't do that because like they are adorably it's like the it's like the writers they hire are like below D tier or like they're <laughs> they're like F tier writers who like they just graduated like college or something it's just like here I'm going to employ all these like different tropes and elements that I learned in college and I'm going to write the best epic tale about us young cool hip kids beating the law but it 
I don't know. I mm-hmm. I, te- I tend to just like tune my brain out forever watching those cutscenes, or I just plain old skip them because you can't do that. But uh, I I did want to bring up because you mentioned to me today, and because of last episode with Scott, where we went into a brief tangent on handheld systems. You actually mm-hmm. remembered your own handheld stories, and I I would love to hear the. We were talking beforehand. We started recording. You gave me a little sneak peek into it so i I am i'm (laughs) because it when we talk when i talk about games and i feel like with most people they think of the console experience but i definitely in the pre-cell phone gaming days handheld games were still their own very legitimate real thing you know Mm. my first experience being with the game boy advance sp but eventually a few years later i got a psp and then I was one of the like 10 people on, on planet earth who bought a PlayStation Vita and fond, fondly loved that little system. Uh, and I think the games made for these systems are all worth talking about and discussing because they're equally as good, but I want to hear the Alex handheld story, if you will. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know why this lapsed my memory when I was thinking about my early game memories um but i think it's because like how you say that handheld games they always felt for whatever reason they felt distinct from console gaming or pc gaming and i think especially when i was pretty young mm-hmm. and anyone who did game was gaming on an xbox and anyone who i knew who games yeah, it was an ex. They were Xbox. They were on Xbox. They were playing first-person shooters, and <clears throat> being given a Game Boy Advance SP for Christmas, it didn't feel like within that dynamic at all. Yeah, and even even the Wii felt closer to that. Even though I think the Wii is probably even further away from that <laughs> in many ways. Um, but like, yeah. So I had. When I was young, I had a Game Boy Advance SP in silver, and I had on that um, Super Mario Advance, which I played mm-hmm. probably dozens of times. I love that game to death. But mm-hmm. even more than that, I loved um, Yoshi's Island, <laughs> which I was saying to you that I that game has sort of sat with me on like an emotional register where you get to the end, you're, you're, it's a game about protecting these two beautiful babbling babes. <laughs> you, know, you, you have to get them all the way to the end of the game. You have to defeat Warrior and that entire final um, boss fight with Warrior is so beautifully composed, I think. It has a real dramatic tension to it. And when you do, you deliver them back to the storks and they go back to their parents and i remember crying playing that ending to that game because it's so it's so so beautifully wrote and genuine yeah it's such a genuinely sincere thing that is it is absent of any sort of 
not cynicism but like sort of being it never plays its hand in like comedy or like say look at these like babyfied versions of your mario characters though it's like it's yeah it's in it it's presented in this art unique art style that feels very taut it has like a very storybook almost crayon look Mm. to it very much like as if a, a little kid drew the levels out and you know and to me also you know because you play as the yoshis you know taking the baby across the island the yoshi to me always seemed like when you're like a little a little a little little kid it's like you know your stuffed animal is like your best friend Mm. and that's always like yoshi kind of looked to me like he's like oh here's like he's your little stuffed animal that keeps you safe at night sort of thing so it the fact that it it is just a genuinely sincere sweet little story of a game that it doesn't try to be anything else other than just a touching little story i think makes it more special than anything that would come out today i mean they would try to play up like the baby like the just like very easy humorous things like it wouldn't just be like a little storybook tale which that is what it is and it's definitely one of the more fun Nintendo experiences when I had a Game Boy, like that was one of the games I played. And uh, I remember also the advanced, the Super Mario Advance. I remember Sonic Advance series playing that religiously on the bus to school. Mm-hmm. As mentioned before, the SSX three port on it, which was awful. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, I think handhelds are such a, they're such I would hate to I would hate to use the term stigmatized because it makes me think of like the worst people you know online thinking that we're being stigmatized and let made lesser whatever you know bullshit stuff uh but prior to the iPhone I think there was definitely a different it was okay to like be like oh I'm a handheld gamer like it wasn't so much like uh, there was a vitriolic hatred for the handheld space, but they were clearly defined spaces. They were not uh, sort of one coagulative blob that was gaming as it is today, where it's like you're getting ports of console games to your iPhone sort of thing. Mm. Uh, and you know, mobile gaming yeah. today being full of just like uh, micro transactions and one, like two buttons away from accessing your mom's credit card on the apple (laughs) on her on the apple apple family plan sort of thing like the handheld space felt very personal in a way that in a way was very similar to the console experience but in like in a in away from the house like you could take your game boy or your psp or you know even before that like what scott mentioned the game gear like you could take your own little world with you on a little portable device that had games that were made for that system in mind that weren't either were trying to bring a console experience to the handheld or they were trying to make purely handheld experiences i mean there's so many great game boy experiences like there's the link the zelda series like link's awakening that's a very fantastic little Zelda experience on like an eight, you know, the little, little game boy, obviously Pokemon 
was a phenomenon. Like, I don't think anybody could say like that they avoided Pokemon in our age range. Like I would say any up to maybe about 30 years old, everyone played Pokemon at some point, like, you know, and it was purely a handheld experience. Like, Mm. You got well, to... I can say that I avoided Pokemon. I don't know how <laughs> I ended up <laughs> avoiding Pokemon, but like, I never played, never had a Sonic game, never had a Pokemon game, never had a Zelda game. I don't know how, I don't know why, but, but I don't know. It just but, didn't. It didn't end up on my on my radar. And then maybe that's why I don't feel like a true gamer because these, <laughs> things, these things never ended up in my in my in my world. But that 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 actually is a great point too, because like, and maybe it's just because when we were younger, we weren't cognizant of games media, as it were, as we know, as as it were back in the day, like with magazines that you could have. I mean, magazines were still around, obviously, but like we weren't cognizant of like the game magazine just yet. They weren't as sort of omnipresent things that added to your experience, sort of thing. Um, and so maybe we didn't get to see that because I remember, you know, going to like Toys R Us and like there wasn't like a giant marquee display saying buy the Zelda game, buy the, you know, buy the Zelda game, buy buy the uh, like Pokemon sort of thing. It was just like kind of a what box art interested you as a kid sort of thing when you went mm. to the shelves. It wasn't like. it's like the ad the ad blitz didn't exist in our minds just yet so it's like Mm. we're more willing we're more willing to be absorbed by like oh hey this dirt bike game looks cool i want this mom yeah and i think what replaced pokemon in in my world was um neopets (laughs) which was the (laughs) <laughs> yeah <laughs> which was like truly all-consuming at one point in my life and i had i don't know if you even know about this but a neopets it was a neopets pen and it was a mm-hmm. pen that was like a handhold game ming thing <laughs> i yeah, don't know yeah, what yeah. it was but it was like a tiny little screen and you could do very minimal sort of gameplay and like it was tamagotchi-esque yeah um and that's and also had a tamagotchi and but this is what (laughs) this is what um i think this is what replaced pokemon in my head and took up a lot of time in my my young childhood when i first got um a computer at age 10 or whatever Mm -hmm. neopets going online playing neopets playing all these games and then you know at some point in time just moving on yeah (laughs) and just letting them letting them rot and die i assume (laughs) i don't know what's happening to my neopets now but they they've they've been long neglected you went from neopets to nintendogs and now one exactly what happened whatever happened to the nintendogs they're riding away on a cartridge probably yeah uh, I don't. I, I, it's sad. My golden retrievers. Yeah, they're, they're like, where the fuck is Alex? He's supposed to play with me. I'm supposed to, you know, very, do very the requisite. Very haunch, and then a little bit of food. <laughs> Pick up those, that shit. Those sort of like, I don't know what the proper term would be. I guess 
simulator game i guess like yeah those those sort of like take care of a thing game like they're very like bleak in hindsight once you abandon them like yeah because they're so they're so marketed to be like integral to your day-to-day experience that like once you break free of the loop it's like well what are they doing without me are they all alone like it's very kind of creepy in a way like to know that these little digital creations that are meant for your attention and your interaction Mm. are just like left to sit in a little cartridge you know waiting for the console to come back to life you know i i i obviously like i have a vendetta against like animal crossing but it's like i i remember how like seeing how they the animal crossing if you like left it alone that your house would be overrun by weeds and your villagers would leave the village and it's like your little town that you took care of just becomes a ghost town like it it's it's creepy to think of what what these little these little uh creatures are doing once you stopped when you once you stop caring about them like because they don't they're not cognizant of the fact that you left them alone but like yeah to, it's like uh it's like a do androids dream of electric sheep thing or whatever but it's <laughs> it's like do do video game characters dream of the players uh scenario yeah it's really it is really haunting to think about all these games that ride and die on you having to interact with them every single day and then yeah what is it is there literally like a corpse of a puppy yeah. waiting on <laughs> waiting on my nintendogs cartridge for me to boot up again and then i'm going to be horrified by it when, <laughs> when and I it's, do. Al- it's also like creepy if like especially like if you get a ds years later and then you get like you get someone like a used ds that has like someone's like they forgot to format the system and then you get like nintendogs for like you know used and then you get someone else's dogs or like someone else's like you see that save file of someone else's like time spent in the game and it's like it's very haunting in a way that only this genre of experience can only provide um Mm. but i think that actually in (laughs) Coincidentally, I think that kind of segues into the sort of topic I wanted to get into before we discuss heavy rain, which is the sort of idea of choice, Uh, choices, a game presenting you, quote unquote, difficult options or uh, games having reverberating uh, action or results from your actions. choice seems like it is a very common mechanic in games whether it be rpgs where it's all about creating the character and what would your character do if presented this sort of thing like in the what immediately comes to mind is like mass effect or fallout series where it's like you more or less have a blank slate and you can role play as this sort of vessel of yourself or this character that you have come up with or you can think i can think of like uh for example infamous the uh on the ps3 where it's about becoming either the hero or the villain and the game 
presents a sandbox where you either can save, like, for example, you can save individuals and you get good karma, but if you kill civilians, you get bad karma. And there's moments in the game story where you have a choice whether to be the good guy or the bad guy, or you have just strict linear experiences where you are just presented choices without you even knowing. Like, the idea of choice in games is such a large idea but it has such a unique it feels very designed for games in a way and so i wondered you know with a game we're discussing heavy rain which is almost is purely designed around your choices have lasting consequences i wanted to hear from you alex what do you think of the idea of choices in games well when i've first played Heavy Rain, which was really my reintroduction to gaming in total, and was mm-hmm. the first game I played when I got my PlayStation 4 recently. Mm-hmm. I thought that the way that choice is presented in Heavy Rain is so unlike what the idea of games I had in my head and many experiences I have had with games in the past where choice is there, like you have to make a choice, but it doesn't feel like it's having a huge effect on the overall narrative. Mm-hmm. Like, especially in role-playing games, you'll give be given those like little dialogue branches. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like ultimately that has much of an effect. It's nothing, you're not doing anything there that you can't fix in one way or another. Like if you pick the dialogue branch that makes the, you know, the person you're talking to aggressive, you can, you can kill them and yeah. <laughs> you can like, you can like solve that issue that you've created by going down one path with whatever choices that you've made. Um, very easily you can very easily solve that issue you can come to a resolution that suits you as a player and as your you sort of very, very fairly blank um protagonist and you continue on as normal and you can really get anything you want out of the choices that you presented whatever choice you make you can get the outcome that you desire and it And I felt like, even though my, obviously my experiences with gaming are far more limited, it felt like a lot of games took that approach where choice was essentially set dressing Mm -hmm. for a very linear experience. Mm -hmm. And as we'll get into, I think Heavy Rain really feels like it's something entirely different, which is the point that we'll also get into that, like... I saw a lot of criticisms of Heavy Rain that pointed out that, like, if you actually look at the sort of branching tree of choices that you make, it's still fairly linear, but Heavy Rain feels, and definitely by the ending, it actually is. So that's, I think that's just, that sort of criticism is wrong. It feels like the choices are very meaningful and impactful Mm -hmm. and necessary to make. Mm-hmm. and have an impact on the way you're playing the game and the way you approach the game. And that's something I definitely felt myself. Mm-hmm. But it feels like for a lot of games, choices are arbitrary and set dressing. 
I yeah. think I'd like to ask you as as the yeah. consumer, <laughs> do you do 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 you feel that like choice is something that is uh not not that impactful for the most part it it really de- it, i hate to be like well it just depends but it really does just de- <laughs> it really does just yeah, depend true. on the experience that a game provides because like you said with heavy rain it is a linear a linear experience that you kind of craft through playing where it mm. has it has branching paths that it puts you onto depending on your actions. And it feels a very organic experience where it's not like telling you, uh, if you know what, if Ethan was a good character, he would do this sort of thing. Yeah. It's, it's very sort of like the choices are very much presented to you as if like you were presented a choice in real life. Like uh, they're not like, they're not just a pure gameplay gameplay mechanic, which a lot of games do do. Like I was saying, for example, with infamous, the way that infamous does it because infamous is like a linear experience and they have the choice mechanic, which, you know, they call the karma system. And if you're a good guy, you get specific powers and abilities that only a good karma character could get but on the flip side you will not get access to the bad karma player mechanics so that's like one example where and a lot of games do attempt this where it's like the choice the choice is kind of like a binary so to say like it's it's such like a a large question or large thing to do because presenting a player with like like i guess i guess you could say it's like a like a dinner menu saying well what would you do what would you want i think you know if you're a game developer that's a scary thing saying well now we have to we we have to think about every sort of action the player might do like Mm. there there is kind of like a unending like terrifying potential because if you give a if you if it's like give a mouse cheese sort of thing but it's like if you give a gamer <laughs> a choice what the fuck are they going to do cuz sometimes if you give like absolute infinite control like let's say in a fallout game where it's the choices are more or less dialogue and the game never says that like this is what the good guy would say or the bad guy would say it's like the npc asks you a question and it gives you just a string of answers and it could be like it could like in a in an older fallout game it would give you a string of dialogue options it'd be one would be like uh giving you kind of like a straightforward yes uh an aggressive no but if you like put your points into like if you're talking with the scientist for example and your in your personal character has a lot of points into science you could actually persuade this doctor or whatever uh, with sort of a scientific response sort of thing. Like layering choice really kind of is like a Pandora's box situation where it's you have to accommodate and think about what happens when you give someone complete and total control. And it is terrifying to sort of say, that the gamer in a way dictates the story if you will 
because the gamer might as well just ignore the dialogue options like literally just disengage from it and just straight up kill the the kill the npc because they're annoying mm. them like the it, it's the choice is such a a broad thing because it any game can approach choice dif- in such different ways it i think for example in spec ops the line which is a again another linear experience it presents itself as a military third person shooter where it's like it presents you these options and these choices throughout the story but it more or less the game is kind of then going back and say well you didn't really have a choice to begin with you're a bloodthirsty psychopath anyways you're violently killing people because you enjoy it sort of thing you so like choice on another hand can allow a game to be like sort of critiquing itself in a weird way i know i sound kind of rambling right now but it's when there are so many different avenues for choice with a game that isn't just a strict yes or no Mm. thing i mean you could even say that the concept of choices in a game could even boil down to not getting a choice to say exactly exactly yeah like uh a game that I respect that came out recently is The Last of Us Part Two, and the game is ultra linear, and it gives you no choice in what you do. You are going to brutally murder this character in a live leak video esque way, and you're gonna <laughs> have you have to live with this fact that you are a bloodthirsty psychopath, and we are going to remind you you're a bloodthirsty psychopath. You had no choice, gamer. How do you feel about it? Sort of thing. There, yeah. it, it's like a giving choice and not having choice equally is an it's like <laughs> it, it's a scary thing in a way to sort of give the the drivers the give the, the give the wheel to a gamer because you never know what they're going to think about this sort of a conundrum they are given sort of thing i guess yeah. that's what i'm trying to say yeah because it's like it's a it's a couple of things where like choice the choices you have as a gamer will always be limited by the fact that only so much can be written into the game itself like no game no game ever made has ever been like a true sandbox experience yeah yeah because there's only so much that can be done that it can be programmed into the game that you can be able to do you do not have the choices as you do in real life to do anything, to move your hand in a certain mm-hmm. way, to say a certain word, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. Um, so like, I think anyone critiquing games for their lack of choice is sort of not, it's not really being fair, I guess. And I think I saw this a lot with Heavy Rain where it's sort of like, trying to point out some sort of hypocrisy in the way it presents choice and what it can actually deliver. But it's like, again, it's like what you actually feel as the player is the most important thing and the choice that you feel and the, and the, and the presence of the choices that you feel as a player is really um, instrumental to how the game operates and the impact of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, uh, uh, 
lost my train of thought. What, 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 what you were saying about um, Spec this Ops. Is, this is a large topic, ain't it? <laughs> so Spec Ops, the line, you have like, oh, the lack of choice. The lack of choice is, the, um, is very important, mm-hmm. I think, in terms of Heavy Rain as well, because you have that opening line of dialogue where Ethan talks to his son about the dead bird and he says something about how, you know, sometimes, sometimes things happen to you that you, that, that just happen. Sometimes things happen and you have no say in how they happen. Choice is not like true choice in the real world. I can choose to move my hand in this way. I can choose to say a certain thing, but there are choices that are limited to, to me. I can't choose to fly because mm-hmm. it's not possible. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's very, you know, simple philosophy, one on one things, but like, it's sort of like mm-hmm. in having these choices open to you, you also have to account for the fact that you live in a world where you have, the world is not your oyster. The world is open to possibility, but there are things that are beyond you because other people are making choices within your own ecosystem, I suppose, within Mm -hmm. the world. And this is like, I think something heavy rain grasps at really nicely is that it's an entire ecosystem. It's a world of, sort of individual actors who are making choices and affecting each other. So that when mm-hmm. that woman is driving around, not paying attention to the road and she runs over and kills your son, mm-hmm. she's making a choice in doing that, that you are trying to overwhelm with your own choices. Like you are making a set of choices in that opening sequence to try and save your son. Mm-hmm. But you cannot because not because her choices are any more powerful than your choices, mm-hmm. but because that's just the luck of the draw. You have made a choice at the wrong point in time, and that has led to your son dying. And I think that's 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 a more realistic way of presenting choice, and I think that's something that heavy rain does beautifully is Mm -hmm. that it presents choice as not like total free will not a sandbox experience it's very much within this linear framework Mm -hmm. and sort of a linear narrative that can shoot off in all these directions depending on whatever choice you make but it's not it's yeah it's not entirely open and yeah and I think it, that's more more true to life and it's more impactful and that mm-hmm. gets to a lot of the emotional stakes and tension and thrills that the game elicits. Yeah, that that's honestly a really good point. I mean, you know, with Heavy Rain, it sits in a very, it's it's like a genre of game that I think honestly handles choice the best, which is like this interactive adventure interactive movie adventure-esque game 
where the gameplay is not really the the moment to moment gameplay mechanics and systems are not complex or in depth as per se like a, like a Devil May Cry where it's all these wacky and insane moves that are all about you know scoring stylish combos or anything. These games are very reliant on sort of the story experience, but they their sort of main hook is that choices create consequences like infamously i i I don't know if you remember this back in the day but the walking dead games were very big like 10 years ago and they were very much in the genre of heavy rain where it's you play as a in the walking dead games you play as one character and any sort of choices that you make have rippling consequences in later parts of the story and it's kind of, you know, they say it's like the butterfly system or the butterfly mechanic, you know, where one choice ha- can ripple through other people's lives in this story. And it comes back to you much later or at the end of something. And I think these sort of games do a very interesting way because the game is always on a linear track to an, to an ending. It's not you know, this sort of infinite ending sort of thing, you know, they're presented as very organic choices within sort of a contained uh, universe, I guess is what I'm trying to say. It's like, by you, you can't really present the ultimate sandbox. You can't have Grand Theft Auto role-playing in a game because that's, at the moment, with games that's pretty much impossible you can't have yourself as a character like go into like a like a a clothing store shoot it up and then like go to your apartment and then do taxes or whatever you can't have like that (laughs) you can't have like that level of choice in a game but i think the way games can handle choice in a i don't know if i would say optimal way of choice but like in a more impactful way is having a linear story where it's all about sort of the dynamics at play if i do x what what will what will my y be or what and what will the z reaction be for a side character like who's not the main focus right now but he could be down the line you know there's there's a lot of games in this ilk uh, like Heavy Rain, in- including other games made by the developer Quantic Dreams, such as Beyond Two Souls, Detroit Become Human. But you have other games such as um, Life is Strange or, as I mentioned, The Walking Dead or The Wolf Among Us or Until Dawn or most recently The Quarry, where it's presenting a sort of like a it's like a this cast of characters is your sort of world and what am what are my moment to moment decisions whether whether they be small or large what will happen as a result like like you said with your comparison with the mother character in the very beginning you know who's just a you know random character that tragically runs over your your son at the beginning and she's kind of like that that thing you can't control like 
with these games, what is that element going to be with my decisions or something? Yeah, hopefully that makes sense. It's like Mm. this genre of game, I think, does it better because it's in a way it's like smaller scale, like bringing it into a, a, a smaller arena allows for the these consequences to feel grander and bigger and more impactful and i i think you know we'll get to it with heavy rain i think the quantic dream games do a very excellent way of capturing the in moment experience of like a little choice can mean a lot or if you're in a panic state and you make the wrong move like that could make that could cost dearly for you in a later later part of the game to the point where you do the tried and true going back to an old save file because you didn't like what you did (laughs) you know games have that wonderful ability of undoing mistakes that you can't do in real life sort of thing uh but yeah i mean the thinking about choice is a very large and very difficult thing because games as a medium are so the possibilities are infinite in what can be made but there's almost like limitations for the like the exact sort of true v like you know the you know they always advertise like the metaverse or whatever like your life but in the digital sphere sort of thing but in reality that can't happen you can't replicate the sort of uh choice moment to moment choice in uh that sort of ultimate freedom in a digital space where it's like there are set limits to everything sort of thing i i truly hope i'm making sense this is such a this it's such a sort of broad scope concept uh because games just tackle it in all different ways like i think some of my favorite examples if i were to do is just the half-life or not the half-life um fallout series or specifically like new vegas because the game presents the story where you get killed by some random gang member guy and your life as a sort of mailman you get brought back to life and the game already presents you a choice right from the get-go. You could go find that guy, but you you don't have to. Like you can just get distracted by the truly seemingly infinite quests in the game that have no meaning to figuring out who the hell this guy was and what his role to play in the grander story is. You don't have to. And I I do appreciate sort of that like the story the setup of the story kind of makes sense for what happens when you get back to life sort of thing. And obviously I love the heavy rain uh, handling of choice where it's like, it very much, very much mimics the sort of uh, uh, I'm blanking on the word here. Uh, Heavy rain mimics that sort of like, if you make like one choice in the heat of a very tense moment, you could drastically change what's going to happen to you in the next five Mm -hmm. minutes or in the next week sort of thing. I think there is potential for both ways to get choice done in an interesting way. And I guess games are still trying to figure out what is the most 
captivating and interesting way to go about this sort of thing, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And I think with Heavy Rain, you feel that, um, as you describe, like the choices feel impactful and they feel, you feel like, you feel like you have this true choice and you feel that tension around making that choice. Mm-hmm. Like you feel that anything you do at any moment could have this long-term rippling effect mm-hmm. over the entire gameplay as it lays ahead of you. And that's true. It does have that effect, but that like goes into every little choice you make and you feel that I think I, I felt playing the game that you don't really have the option to rewind. Like, mm-hmm. even though you do, obviously, you don't, I, I felt playing it that it is as in, in real life, you don't have, there is no possibility to make a choice again. Mm-hmm. And that's how I felt starting to replay it, little bits of it that it's not satisfying to make the obviously alternative choice to what I made the first time. It just doesn't, it feels phony to a certain extent. You want to, you want to play it and you want to let the consequences fall as they land. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, I've also played recently a bit of um, Detroit become human. And I think the bit that I don't like about that. I like the game, but I don't like about it compared to heavy rain is that at the end of each chapter, you get that view of the branching choices and effects that you've made. Yeah. And I think heavy rain is much better in that you don't get a sense that there was any other possibility than what you did. Mm -hmm. And that's true as in real life. You can't even really conceive of, um, an existence beyond what you're doing right now, because mm-hmm. it's so impossible. It's so difficult to consider every choice you've ever made and what the alternative would be and where that would lead. And heavy rain feels like the choices you make are leading to sort of like potentially one destiny, even though there's like a whole bunch of different outcomes, a whole bunch of different endings. It feels like everything's leading up to one moment mm-hmm. yeah, and <clears throat> yeah that, that that's that a great choices feel real yeah rather than yeah that, that that's a great point you mentioned about detroit because detroit is a special little game because uh it's i would say uh camp in that uh <laughs> this sort of story it has but i'll save that for a later day but detroit become human almost gamifies this aspect that made heavy rain so captivating where it's like people are so curious about the branching pathways of yourself that the developers were so they felt as though that they had to sort of broadcast the sort of web of action the web of reaction if it will to the player it's like i don't think that exemplifies how it is in real life you can't Let's say like I I wake up in the morning and like uh, 
instead of like i don't know let's say i instead of picking the white pair of socks i picked the black pair of socks <laughs> and then like in and as a result, then I forget my coffee for that morning. And then by the end of the day, I don't get that opportunity to like see in front of me. Well, what it, things could have been different if you picked the white socks, you know, it's not like I can't get that sort of like that ability. And I think the magic of heavy rain is that it feels so re it feels real in that sort of do or die situation even if it the situation is more like how do you react to a one little situation whether it be to reject or uh comfort a character you know how do you feel in that moment what would you do in that moment and the game just kind of keeps going and it doesn't bother to like say well, if you decided to go with option two, this is the possible branching pathways you could have gotten. Mm. The the resistance to gamifying the choices in heavy rain make the choices more impactful because it is sort of like, like you were saying, even though I'm presented in a lot of different ways to get to an ending in my mind in that moment i am i am heading towards a final moment and whatever happens along the way that's just what is a part of that experience sort of thing and honestly i think that is a great way to actually segment or segue into the game of discussion for tonight which is heavy rain We are back while you were away you know since we're talking about heavy rain i brought i pulled out my copy of beyond two souls and mm -hmm. i forgot that i had a steel book with a fka ellen page front and center on the screen in her flannel mm -hmm. uh <laughs> it's a, i do miss i mean this was that was the period in which actors were starting to like go into games and so it's like Ellen Page, Willem Dafoe, and Beyond Two Souls. Yeah, it's. It, I remember. It's, I remember like, the whole the, the whole big scandal around that at the time was the whole nude nudity scenes. thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Which, yeah like, there's there's a lot of even actually, at the time it seemed a bit silly. That was twenty twenty. 
2012 or 2013. I can't remember the exact day, but no, 2013. It was, yeah, 2013. Yeah, there's, there's like a showcase because technology had progressed such to the point where it's like, oh, they can actually put actors' faces on and mocap had already existed for years. Mm. So it's like now the the actors could have their faces be put on there and their and their face the way they perform can be captured from their face with their body so it's mm. like you know and quantic dream and david cage had been praised and this is when people still like them it's when they liked them you know <laughs> this is not when david cage and quantic dream had been canceled so as so to say but like uh this was this was the period i mean obviously there's obviously like Kojima this, you know, around that time he made a big deal about Kiefer Sutherland playing Venom Snake, even though Kiefer's face isn't on Snake, Kiefer's performance with his face is on screen, so to say. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's like the Yakuza yeah, game. It feels like it's a sort of way of building up gaming's legitimacy. Because they're like, it's real actors. These aren't, you know, soap opera actors who are putting <laughs> their effort behind whatever mm-hmm. characters. Because Heavy Rain has all the mocap stuff, obviously, but these are actors who people don't, they're real actors, but they're actors that people don't know. So oh, there's yeah. no, like, you're not putting it up against sort of public scrutiny because now everyone can look at the Ellen Page model and say, does this look like Ellen Page? Yeah, it's sort of a lot more pressure in rendering that, and sort of, mm-hmm. and you can like sell that a lot better too. You can say like, look at what we've done. We've got someone so famous to life in the video game. This is mm-hmm. something to show. Yeah, I mean, even to bring up like uh, Heavy Rain in specific, Madison's voice actress, like she was pretty much a bit role character actress like mm. i'm looking it up she's like in one episode of law and order one episode of the shield she was in a uh, armageddon as uncredited presidential cabinet men- member <laughs> like you know game and act gaming and acting you know there were still games before heavy rain that had celebrity talent i mean as i mentioned like ssx had like Billy Zane to play as like the the you know the the hippie uh, Zen Brody uh, snowboarder, but like even um like Kingdom Hearts for example, Kingdom Hearts had like Haley Joel Osmond play Sora the main character, and Haley Joel has been Sora since he was a kid since two thousand two. He's still portraying Sora in these games. Mm. Uh, there's a what's his name christopher something maybe lloyd it's one of the christophers i can't remember but he portrays a big role in the kingdom hearts game so it's like the concept of like acting in games has always been there and it's been a troubled i guess you could say troubled you know the early days of voice acting were not good a la like Mm. resident evil's infamous forays into voice acting (laughs) with a jill sandwich and you are the master of unlocking and uh ouch as when a character is dying like you know 
there's some there's some bumps in the road in the process <laughs> you couldn't have night trap and just film your actors performing uh yeah. but i guess you know to get into the game of tonight which is heavy rain it, it was originally a playstation 3 exclusive it first came out february 23rd 2010 uh, it's also been put on the ps4 it's also on the pc so it's easy to play right now but I remember this game. I remember again because it's a recurring uh, thing on the show. It game trailers, seeing all the sort of information about it floating around and how it was being marketed as this very adult and noir sort of suspenseful thriller, serial killer adventure game, and it was a really unique experience. It was completely different from any other game you had played before. I remember seeing the infamous uh, the casting tech demo back in the day and being floored by the very, I guess you could say, uh, Uncanny Valley graphics of the actress who plays Lauren in the game, you know, as she's like looking directly in the character and emoting as if, you know, because the casting tech demo is literally she's in a casting couch situation sort of thing where she's auditioning for a role in a movie, but it's like taking place in the set of the movie, so to say. But I remember when that demo came out and then heavy rain was birthed from that tech demo. And I remember all the sort of trailers that were coming out for it. There's one in particular that I posted recently uh, with the dramatic, like Requiem for a dream score or whatever on top of it. And I was like, I remember just in that moment, it's like, oh my God, games are so cool right now. They're getting so dark and edgy. <laughs> and it's like, and, you know, I remember when it came out, everyone was generally hyped about it. Everyone said it was a really exciting and unique experience that was a sort of, a, uh, I guess you could say a risk uh, or also just a nice and really interesting experiment with the medium and then I saw the backlash over the past decade of how the writer and director David Cage is, you know, everyone said he's a hack. He can't write. He's a bad director. All their games are actually awful. And you, you, the gamer, were actually a dumb retard for ever liking these games. Uh, and, you know, you throw in the mix of all the allegations thrown against Quantic Dream and David Cage. And it's like everyone has sort of rewritten the history, as you will. Uh, about heavy rain when in reality it's like everyone loved this game everyone thought it was cool so uh, I want to hear Alex because you recently played heavy rain and uh, I want to hear what your thoughts are about the game uh, it was it was I will say it was a genuine pleasure getting to experience your reactions and feelings <laughs> about it in real time so yeah no, I want I want to hear the full take as you will well, I think I mentioned this um, in the Night Trap episode, but when I got my PS4, I I sort of knew that it had to be the first game that I played. Um, I got the whatever subscription service that lets you play things for free, and I saw that it was available there within it, and it was sort of like this has to be this has to be the one because it was I think. Similar to you, I had seen it on, I seen it, the trailer for it. I'd heard about it through 
friends likely i think maybe through reddit um people talking about this game that has sort of this heaviness to it this seriousness um that seems to be invoking all these thriller film aesthetics and doing something really genuinely genuinely quite dark and also at the same time spawning all these <laughs> memes and oh, yeah, very the... silly <laughs> approaches to the press material. X to Jason press X to <laughs> Jason like I I, I, I I thought they were really funny at the time <laughs> yeah me too I I in the moment I was like yeah this is hysterical and now like 10 years later I'm just like this is fucking annoying like stop it <laughs> like the, the joke has been beaten to death already <laughs> but you're showing me like the that YouTube group stuff which is uh, such <laughs> like a <laughs> which is such a sort of throwback that like but it's it's sort of the same sense of humor that's used a lot now a lot of like the shit posting sense of humor where it's like complete nonsense kind of just whatever referencing it, it makes it makes no sense whatsoever but i think like i think as we will probably talk about the reason heavy rain received a lot of that i think it's because it's just like completely and totally sincere mm-hmm. and like it has this real utter it takes itself seriously in a genuine and well appreciated way um and that's something that i really liked when i was actually getting to play it for the first time after all this time it built up in my head as this major important game i think the graphics thing was a big part of that i remember being really excited by the idea of sort of like you know it was post avatar at this point this we're moving mm-hmm. into like computer generated visuals that are really surprising and shocking and they're mm-hmm. achieving something that you, you didn't think was possible and i think la noir was big part in my head as well oh that yeah yeah similar time oh, um yeah. i maybe, remember like, LA noir. afterwards and like yeah that was like this is you know we're making huge massive strides in what is possible digitally visually and mm-hmm. this is all really exciting mm-hmm. um la noir is one that i didn't mention but that is in my gaming history i didn't finish it because i was playing it on a really shitty laptop and it would, <laughs> <laughs> it would make the whole thing like ten thousand degrees and i couldn't yeah t- <laughs> turn your laptop and it would <laughs> turn your laptop into a jet engine sort of thing. <laughs> yeah um but yeah so like it had to be heavy rain i play heavy rain and it's yeah a really surprising earnest gripping take on this thread that's been running through gaming for a while now of like the sort of interactive narrative and you're making choices the gameplay is sort of fairly minimal but Mm -hmm. it's still i thought really well put together um but yeah you're making choices you're following certain paths wherever those choices take you and i saw in heavy rain especially this is something i haven't seen a lot or haven't mm-hmm. like heard about a lot the choices felt impactful and they felt 
important and it felt the 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 whole thrust of the game is built around these choices having mm-hmm. like having a weight to them and i thought i thought it really delivered that really well so i was really excited that it actually lived up to this image that had existed in my head for so long and a total pleasure to be able to actually play it yeah i mean heavy rain it really is a different game you know and I'm I'm glad you brought up the sort of realism fact and sort of the visual fidelity aspect of it because you know this was as I mentioned on the episode with Zach at the beginning of the season you know the PS3 era was like that era where it's like the final at the time felt like the final graphical advancement had happened you know the HD HD generation had had come to us now and suddenly we're getting character models that are like borderline realistic looking with proper, like, you know, mouth animations, their eyes look believable. So it's like, it became realer than real, I guess you could say. And heavy rain definitely plays into that aspect because, you know, it's, it's not like a normal game. It's, and it's, you know, it's like, it's a, it's like a cross between an interactive movie and a, uh like an action like an adventure game like kind of reminds me of the double fine games where you interact with the environment you pick up things you ask questions with npcs to sort of get any sort of information whether it be investigation or just straight up interacting with the world and you don't interact with you don't interact with the game in a traditional sense you know the infamous using the R2 button to walk instead of like the analog stick is an interesting choice. Uh, I remember it's like, oh yeah, we thought of this like a racing game controls and it's like, whatever. Okay. You know, interesting, <laughs> but um, you know, in it, in the, on, on top of that, and it also, <clears throat> instead of like just having a button prompt to interact with the world, now you like imitate motions with the analog stick where button prompts on screen or tell it, you know, move the analog stick up and down, or sometimes it's more even precise movements. You have to move the stick very slowly and delicately, or you're shaking the controller up and down or turning side left and right. It, it feels like in a weird way, it's like, getting your body active in this real world as if like you are the character on screen and the game takes full advantage of this unique interface where you know you have some genuine great moments of just like interacting with the world but also in the action set pieces of the game where you have all these quick time events flashing on screen and it feels like you know in the moment you could die or if you screw up something bad's going to happen and I think it comes to the main point of the game, which is the choice mechanic. You know, the the famous tagline of the game is what would you do to save someone you love? And you control these four characters, Ethan Mars, Madison Page, Norman Jaden, and Scott Shelby. And they all have a sort of goal in mind uh, to save Sean Mars, Ethan's son, from the origami killer, which is the main goal of the game is to save Sean and find out who the killer is. And you play these four different characters and it's all about choosing how the story progresses. You know, 
one little decision could have ripple effects on the other characters and their sort of stories and how they progress and all that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, even the characters can die in this game and the game will keep going. It won't have like a game. You know, David Cage says he didn't want the game to have a game over screen. You know, you can finish the game where all the characters die or all the characters live or one character dies and the others have to, you know, finish the game out. It, it's an, it's a very, it's a very reactive in a live world, which, you know, I felt like when I was playing it, that was like one of the first cases where it's like, I'm not really controlling a game. I'm controlling people in a digital space. And it was mm-hmm. extremely fascinating and unique for me at the time to have that experience, you know, 10 years ago and you as of recently, because no other game really does this sort of thing anymore. Uh, they, it was kind of like a little blip in time. You know, you had other games like the walking dead, the telltale walking dead games, or you had life is strange. These sort of interactive game, interactive movie novel games where it's all about choices, you know, what sort of little choice could affect things down the line. What sort of big change could drastically affect what happens next? You know, that's something I think Quantic Dream really nailed, you know, David Cage specifically. And it's always fascinating to see people uh, go back in time and act as if like no one thought this was the coolest thing ever. Like mm-hmm. you and I, you, you and I were talking earlier in the day because you were watching a lot of criticism videos of Heavy Rain, which I'm guessing were made in the last four years, if I'm yeah. And, and there's and there's also no there's just no praise videos. There's no videos praising the game. Yeah. <laughs> anything it, anything that's come out in the last five years is like critical and the same criticisms each time. None yeah, of them are coming up with anything new. Yeah, they're all the criticisms are basically boiled down to uh, a nerd sitting in the corner with a with a highlighter pen saying that doesn't make sense. I could do better. I could make a better video game than this than this hack yeah. fraud like it's it's such a an amazing rewriting of history like the main criticism everyone lobs at this game is that quote unquote unquote, it doesn't make sense like the story doesn't make sense or what the characters do doesn't make sense you know people want to sort of think that the world of heavy rain has to be a true crime story. Like mm-hmm. the, the finer details have to be akin to what we see, like being mass produced right now. Like you were telling me how like one person was saying, well, you know, uh, I don't know if David cage knows that the FBI is only focuses on white collar crime. Like, you know, they, they wouldn't investigate the sort of thing. Like, you know, it's just this, it's like, so it's like really stupid nitpicking that I think is like honing in on like this is a game that feels very real yes I wouldn't say it's realistic but it feels it's real and as you're saying they feel like the characters you're playing feel like real people um and their emotions especially feel real and I think a big part of that is the fact that they are all disparate characters they're not connected from the outset and then as the narrative evolves they connect with each other or they find that they had connections that they didn't 
realized previously and that's all that all has like a great amount of narrative weight to it Mm -hmm. that all has meaningful emotional vibey kind of impacts that's all Mm -hmm. great that's all great storytelling in my eyes but that is like sort of the type of thing that all these criticisms would focus on would be like well actually an actual real life fbi investigator wouldn't act like this why did why did you know madison just happen across ethan mars none of this makes any sense why are they acting like I expect them to act. They should all know each other before the narrative begins. It's like, yeah, well, it, so you're taking anything impactful out of it by doing that. Yeah, it's like, the the, the main thing is, I, I guess this is a good point to bring up David Cage himself, because he's he's not a normal game developer. He's, I would say he's a little bit, maybe resentful is a little harsh, but it is... I would say it's fair to say that he's resentful of like the big games that are always successful, like the shooters of, you know, and this is late two thousands, very early 2010. So like the FB, the first person shooter craze was the one that was making all the headway. That's where all the sales were and all that. And David cage doesn't like those games. He doesn't like a traditional game in of itself. He's a man who's very reliant on emotions. I think that's sort of the main core of his belief. It's not about the sort of plot threads connecting to each other in trying to make a logical, you know, cohesive experience. What he's trying to do is create an emotionally engaging experience where mm-hmm. he is thrusting you and whiplashing you in dumping you into an experience that really i mean you know heavy rain you know for example in the opening is one of the most peace the most peaceful part of the entire game where you're acting out ethan's life with his two sons and his wife and his beautiful like uh his beautiful ass house that i guess i think he creates because he's an architect like you living out this life, you're living out the sort of like perfect little happy little life. And then the game throws you into panic mode when you lose track of your one son, Jason in the mall. And it's like, you know, people meme on the, you know, the press X to Jason moment in the mall, but it's like that, that scene makes complete and utter sense. Like it, it encapsulates true panic. Like in that moment, unlike any other game does, you know, it, you know, and one thing I love that it does is, and this is something throughout the game, is like when you're trying to press X to Jason, the prompt to tell you that is like shaking violently around your character's head to simulate yeah. that sort of sensation, that genuine level of panic that Ethan yeah. is feeling that you would feel if you lost track of your son in a mall, which is exactly what David Cage pulled from. That's the entire that's where the game comes from, is David Cage going crazy and when he lost his son in a mall and thinking what would happen if like I lost track of my son, like the what Mm -hmm. if scenario, the what if potential and you go from panic to absolute sorrow. When Jason dies, it's two years later, Ethan is uh, his wife has divorced him. The world is more or less like crying consistently where this torrential downpour is just omnipresent in the entire experience and never stops raining in this in the world now that you know it's two years have passed ethan is a broken man trying to make his 
last son, Sean, happy. And I think that whole opening sequence going from the happy life to the panic to the sorrow is like the perfect little like encapsulation of David Cage as a creator. It's not about like, well, why didn't the woman, you know, react real realistically when the child was walking across the street? Why didn't Jason, why did Jason cross the street without looking both ways sort of thing? That's yeah. not the point. That's not the point. David Cage You're is trying creating... to, um, he's trying to manipulate you. Exactly. <laughs> he, he is trying to push your emotions and push your buttons. He's creating an emotional, like, landscape that it's, it's not subtle. It's not, there's no ambiguity to it, but that's what make. but that's like purposeful. You're, you're, you're creating this sort of manipulative, um, on the nose melodrama, full melodrama. You're going from like the sun is shining, <laughs> birds are singing. You're putting away the groceries. <laughs> I'm with my two sons. <laughs> putting putting away the so groceries. Putting away the groceries. It's, I think it's like Jason's birthday coming up or something. Yeah. Like it is birthday. It is the most happiest idyllic life you could ever live in a game, like ever. Mm. It, it and then even from a gameplay pers perspective, you're you're inundated with all these mundane choices at the beginning of the game. There's things yeah, like, you can ignore. There's ways you can interact with your scenery, and then when you get to the mall, suddenly all those choices are taken away, which is like preceded by this bit where they're pet bird dies and he says to um sean like sometimes things happen that you can't avoid sometimes things happen that you have no say in that you have no choice in. sort of laying out the way the rest of the game will unfold and then you get to this point in the mall where you suddenly are without choices all you can do is scream out and yell and panic that's your only choice is to panic. And that's all realistic. And it builds up to this point where he dies. And I think it's still kind of shocking that he dies. Like a couple of the like critical let's plays that I watched, you could tell they were like, they were laughing at everything, obviously, because it's sort of impossible to take something like this seriously mm -hmm. because it is itself so serious. Yeah. But when Jason dies, there was like the sense that like something meaningful has happened and they couldn't avoid reacting to that genuinely. And then like the jokes follow about how, you know, it didn't even seem like the car was going that fast, whatever, whatever, whatever. But that's actually the way the whole thing is built up and constructed and moving you towards this point that you can't avoid. It has a real sting to it. And then you get the great, opening sequence where everyone's in the rain and staring down the camera. And oh yeah. I, that, that's, that's like one little thing. I love the rain in this game. Like I know it's obvious like a, a game called heavy rain and you love the rain, like duh, but like the, <laughs> the, the rain is such like a beautiful, like, I guess just like a beautiful, like curtain for the world on the stage. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, the way that the camera like pans down from the sky and it's like dripping wet, The you know, the 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 main menu. And it's just like water falling down some like glassy mm. side. I love the way the rain looks in this. It it looks like freezing cold rain, too. Like it never looks warm. Yeah. 
it looks just miserable and depressing and sorrowful. Like, I, I, I just want to say, like, I love the rain. I love the rain and heavy rain. Like, like, wowie. <laughs> but like, it, to your point, like, I think people don't understand that it's like heavy rain is not operating in the sense of a traditional game. It's not trying to get you from point A to point B and give you like a result screen or a like congratulations sort of thing. It's not, it's not its goal. It's more or less trying to, it's trying to get you to experience what David Cage wants you to experience. He wants you to feel what he envisions for a scene. He wants you to feel pure panic when you are Madison in the doctor's basement. He wants you to feel pa you know, panic when Sean goes missing. You want to feel anger when Blake and is not listening to you as Norman, or you want, you feel connected to Scott when he's trying to help out the other victims of the families. Like, you know, you feel, you feel the sort of journey that Cage is putting you through. It's not so much about it's not about a traditional story. It's about like, it's like he's got, he's grabbed your hand and he's taking you through the house and he wants you to dwell on moments. He doesn't. And sometimes he doesn't want you to dwell on moments. He wants you to run through the house at full speed ahead. And you have to like make pant, you know, decisions on a fly that, Hey, if you mess up one, that could be the end of the, you could miss out on something important, you know, there's that run through the, you know, when you're Norman and you're running through the, like, is the fish market. And it's like the game is just inundating you with quick time events, trying to, so you mm. don't lose track of the one guy or, or, uh, or like one of Ethan's tests, uh, the many tests that trials that he goes through and he places you in situations where it's like, it's not about like, well, you know, how would this work? So it's not about the logic. It's about, this sort of experience i mean it you know it's easy to say the experience but it really is just the experience it's about what would you do in this situation like what would you do when you have a gun pointed to you in a in a shop while you're trying to interview a guy who's going to help you out in the case how would you mm. diffuse the situation something bad could you could kill the robber or the robber shoots uh the clerk like it's not about trying to sort of weigh everything down. It's about in the moment decisions that have few seconds, have meaningful weight, and you don't have time or you don't have the option to have a say in it. It's it's such a fascinating way of handling the the concept of choice in a game where it's not like giving you a binary sort of thing. It's about presenting you a platter and saying, okay, you have a, here's your five entrees. You have five seconds to pick. Uh, what are you going to do? This, what, <laughs> yeah. If you pick this, if you pick this entree, you may or may not be able to survive uh, to have your dessert or get home safely. Like <laughs> it, it's, yeah. such, it's like a, I, I can't help but just be like in love with the way that the game handles choice because no other game handles choice i mean games in the same genre handle it like the telltale walking dead games had this sort of episodic structure where it's like you make a big choice that affects later episodes that you download life is strange is very similar to this too 
you know, but heavy rain is that singular experience where it's like, it's not telling you, you know, like the walking dead games, it'll say this character will remember that heavy rain doesn't tell you that heavy rain. Yeah. That's the perfect thing about heavy rain is that like, you, it's, it's, you're, you're operating on unknowns. You're, mm-hmm. you're, the choices are all like, so many of the choices, as you said, are like spur of the moment. You have to make this decision right now and you can't think about it. And that's, I think, what Heavy Rain is putting you constantly in the headspace of. It's like, don't think about it. Mm-hmm. You, or you can't think about it. You haven't got the time to think about it. You are operating as you would in real life where you make choices you don't even consider that you're making. And you're not thinking mm-hmm. logically. And, you, and Heavy Rain encourages you not to think logically, encourages you to be emotional and to act on the spur of the moment as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're, every time you do it, you feel like you're stepping out into the unknown because you don't know what reverberations it's going to have down the line. Mm-hmm. Even if, if you do the logic, facts and logic thing and like, look at all the branches and figure out that this choice wasn't actually that important. Mm-hmm. The point is obviously that when you're actually playing it, you're feeling it as if it's this happening in real life, really grand, yeah, monumental thing that you have to do now or else. And you feel that, I think you do feel that every time, every, every stake is like impossibly high. Yeah. And, and that felt unique to me. That felt really and, unique. And then, to bring up, you know, you said uh, the game never dwells or makes you reflect on it, which is interesting because Detroit Become Human, which was the last Quantic Dream game, does do that. It make after mm. after every after every sort of chapter, it shows you the different branching paths, and I feel like that negates the power that something like Heavy Rain has, where it's you know the 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 experience is about being in the moment. It's about yeah. making a split second decision and you can't you don't have time to think well how is this character going to react to me saying like you know you know i think about like the sort of the motel scene where madison either can like you know soothe ethan or i forget the second option but like you have that singular choice you don't know how ethan's going to react you know you you're not you're not given a hint nor you nor at the end you're told like well, if you pick the other choice, this is how Ethan would have reacted. It's never about like gamifying choice. It's mm. very realistic in how you or I or anybody listening would go about, you know, real life choices. Like if, you know, your friend is having like a down moment, you can't be like, now let me hypothesize and let me run the <laughs> let me run the numbers let me see yeah. how am i going to react to this person if they do this to me like you know that sort of thing uh i think the best example of this or at least my favorite sort of choice in the game is uh, i i vividly remember this just because i think it's probably the game's most iconic set piece is the uh the finger cutting scene uh mm-hmm. which i think is a masterpiece of a gameplay moment. Absolutely. So, yeah. It's the best saw game that isn't actually a saw game. It, yeah. You, <laughs> it's you feel a, it. You really feel it. Uh, so to anyone who doesn't know, the finger cutting scene is one of e- Ethan's trials, you know, because the the origami killer is toying him with uh with his little 
Siri with his very interconnected network of uh, electronics that always, you know, are like, you know, you have three minutes to cut off your finger in front of the camera. uh, And that's all you get. You, there's nothing else. The game is just like, you have three and a half minutes, like real three and a half minutes Mm. to figure out how you're going to cut your finger off in front of this little tablet in order to get the next piece of the of the clues in order to help find your son and it's just this abandoned you know murky apartment you have to find any sort of things and the game never spells out that maybe maybe I should do it now granted Ethan has like his inner thoughts that he can give insight to but you could still be like well am I going to use the pliers or am I going to use the scissors or am I going to use like any sort of thing do I grab the plank of wood to like so I can bite into when the pain starts or am I going to find the antiseptic to help the burnt, you know, the cut wound heal, you know, what am I going to do or things. And it's such like a little vertical slice of what heavy rain is about. It encapsulates the tension, the fear, it, you know, in that moment choice of, well, I have to save my son. What am I going to do? And you panic. And sometimes you pick the worst option, which I think is the pliers, like you're like, you know, you can't think like, well, the scissors might be the most effective way of doing it or the glass. I'm pretty sure like glass, you can use like a piece of glass to do it too. It's like very visceral. Like this game is not afraid. It It's not like gory or anything, but it's never afraid to present very dark imagery in uh, at all. Like, but I think the, the, the finger cutting scene is just like a master stroke because it it's such a contained little moment and th- i feel like this is the one scene that like naysayers have about this game is like oh the finger cutting scene's great yeah it is great just like the rest of the game is great like <laughs> all, all of all of ethan's trials are such fantastic things like you know driving the driving the car down the wrong side of the highway for 5 miles and you have to avoid cars and cop cars cha- you know you have to avoid cars you have to go through toll booth road cops are chasing you like and the you just hear that robotic voice like you have three miles left to your destination uh or you know there's the the power plant segment where ethan has to crawl through broken glass and Mm. electrical feet like electrical pylons or the one where he has to kill the other the other father who's a drug dealer uh or yeah that one that one that one yeah you one because you thought because, you messed up. Yeah, well, I did mess up. I think I messed up. But I like it. It's the one where I, I, it's a great one because you don't know where, like, how meaningful the choices are. Like, in that one, I didn't, I chose not to kill the drug dealer because I thought, you know, I have, I'm, I'm considering Ethan Mars. I'm considering, like, what this means within like his entire character and <laughs> whether or not this is actually going to get him what he wants. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a great way to like put the character into thinking because, and it doesn't then like punish you for not, um, not completing it the way it wants. It makes things more difficult, which is all sort of set up from the beginning. And like, if you fail a task, things are more difficult by the end. But like it doesn't directly say like you've made the wrong move here by not killing this person. So you can integrate it within 
the character and within the narrative in a really nice in a, in a really clever and sort of convoluted way that like mm-hmm. it all pulls together all these different threads pull together and yeah and, the, and then the one with where you're cutting off you have to cut off your own finger is great because you have proper real tension mm-hmm. like real real tension because you haven't got time to like search out all the options in the room you're probably not going to find every, everything you're not going to find everything. like yeah you're not going to find you're probably not going to find the plank of wood you're not going to find the antiseptic yeah. you're not going to find the most ideal mean of you know doing the deed but that's yeah the, that's the fun of it like you know exactly but it's, you're not, you're not going to find them all and you're not going to have the time to like if you're not going to find them all, you're not going to have the time to weigh them up in, and like figure yeah. out and what, which has got to be the best option. Oh yeah, you have and, to do it. <laughs> <laughs> what I love about the finger cutting scene too is like when you pick everything that you think you need, you sit at the table that you have to do it, and you weigh all your options, and you have that moment where like Ethan's like thinking to himself, and you hear his thoughts too, and it's like it, it feels very of the moment when you have to make or do a die mo- decision in your life where it's like, you are just, you know, panicking, looking at basically the best options you got and you just have to do it. Like, yeah, it, oh my God, that, that scene is just a masterpiece of a scene. And the, and it's not just exclusive to uh, Ethan's story. You have other moments within the different characters campaigns that get that sort of same sensation. I mean, for me with Madison, it's either in the doctor's basement or at the club where she's, you know, mm-hmm. doing having her ultimate girl boss moment, mm-hmm. dancing at the club to get information from Paco. And she's like girl bossing it up where she to get information. She like knocks him out, ties him to a chair and he's going to rat her to his goons. And she's like making sex moans to make to to get the guys away from the door like it's such a i love that little girl boss moment of madison like using she uses her feminine wilds yeah (laughs) to get what she needs which is great and i love norman i love the sequence at the junkyard where it's like you're climbing out of the car in the like trash compactor like trying to that one that that equally was like terrifying in the moment it's like i have to get out of my car and my car is about to turn me into mincemeat and <laughs> you, you still have to fight this hulking black guy who like wants to kill you and then <laughs> and then you if you do do it right you can put him into that same contraption it's very viscerally exciting and even like yeah. scott like scott there's the you know the 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 convenience store uh robbery scene there's going to gordy's mansion and getting revenge you know becoming jason Bourne in that sequence <laughs> like there every campaign or every character's story has their emotionally taxing but engaging moment like moments and you know i don't think people are gamers as a whole i don't think can under well i think they choose not to understand a game like heavy rain where it's like you you look at the landscape of games that come out and they're all very like they give sort of the onus and control of the situation to the player it's all like I'm in control of the gameplay I am in control of this character's actions I'm in control of everything 
but heavy rain is the you know the antithesis to this idea where it's not about giving you total and clear concise goals it doesn't tell you on screen what you have to do it doesn't tell you really anything it's more or less trying to put you in a unique situation and tell you what would you do and then can you get to the end goal can you get and save sean and you know for me personally i was able to get you know ethan norman and madison to the end and i believe you did too right you you were able to mm -hmm. get the what is considered the true ending of the game which yeah. i guess we can mention the big twist of the game because uh this game is 12 years old and if you have not played <laughs> it i don't care uh i don't believe in spoilers but uh the big twist of the game is that scott one of the characters you've been playing as is the killer and you more or less have been help you basically been helping his goals throughout the entire game where it's not he's trying he's not a private eye uh asked by the victims of the kids who are being killed by the origami killer you're actually gathering any evidence that you left behind to destroy and yeah i think and everything you've done is sort of reframed as like like a really sadistic <laughs> aspect of his character like he's not only going about destroying evidence but he's like toying with these families and he's like bringing it all back up and torturing them again trying like his whole plot is killing these kids as a way of sort of cyclically replicating his own childhood trauma yeah and trying to punish trying Fathers. to like find a good father well basically trying to punish fathers as a way of his dad punishing not... his own father yeah it... and it's all very freudian and it's but like then he goes back and he's torturing them again and he can't stop like tormenting yeah. these families he's a sicko <laughs> and you've been helping him the entire game which which brings me up because again because we were talking about this earlier wasn't one of the videos that you know the heavy rain sucks videos like <laughs> critiquing that like kids die in this game it's like i have that's, game yeah that's like it was like david cage is like killing kids as plot contrivances it's like what is he Hello. It's like, <laughs> do you know what game you're playing? Like this is the entire point. Do you, like, what what game did you think you were buying when you bought the game <laughs> with this box art with a bloody origami figure on the screen <laughs> and a man holding a gun? Like, you know, yeah, it's like a bit of a low blow, right? Yeah, like, like you know, I came here. I, came, I thought this was a weather simulator, not a not a kid killer <laughs> simulator, like. I swear to God. I mean, like, so many people are just searching for things. To I, I, my God. Okay. This, this is this this is a great little tidbit. Like, uh, just because people are so afraid of like media depicting kids dying, it's like <laughs> my co-manager this week because we had a really busy two Sunday shift, and he was like, me and him were like exhausted like yesterday, and he's like. I want to boot up Skyrim and mod and play the mod where you can kill the kids in the game because he because <laughs> there was like an annoying group of kids on Sunday. And I'm like, you know what? That's so true. Like, why can't a game let me like? Why can't a game let me like live this like fantasy of annoying children just like meeting an un untimely fate? Uh, in in video games, in heavy rain, I will, you know, that sort of thing. Blah blah blah. It's like, I guess they're so like. I guess part of it is probably developers really frightened of censorship and like regulatory retribution. 
just that's something they could easily point out saying look you're killing all these kids and you can't, yeah. you can't kill kids in a video game and then sell it back to children it's like, like yeah come on let's 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 open it up to killing kids yeah like you can kill anyone else <laughs> but what, are you, like, what are you gonna do about it? can we it's like but like look at you look at this game and the sort of like suggestive material just because you know when we last did an episode we were talking about ratings and censorship it's like you know, I look at the back of the box and it's rated M for mature for blood, intense violence, nudity, sexual content, strong language, abuse of drugs. And it's like, <laughs> I swear, like games nowadays would not even have half of that content and would be rated M. Yeah. Like I like this, you know, <laughs> as I said, this game is not like gory, gory. It's not <laughs> like it's not like a serial killer or a slasher game, like by any means. Mm-hmm. But you you get the sense of the 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 uh, the stakes that are at play. You you're trying to prevent children from drowning, and I forget like they said, um, you know, like uh, Scott like covers the the kids' faces in mud when he like disposes of the body, like, but like you know he like his whole thing is letting kids drown in a sewer well. For like a week like as the water is constantly filling up during the course of a few days and you know having them freeze and drown to death like you know the game does not shy away from i guess taboo things you know norman is addicted to as i call it, tryptocaine is the drug he's addicted to mm-hmm. you know madison has her little sultry moments here and there like in her dream sequence at the beginning of the game where she's in her lingerie uh, being invaded by night trap uh, uh, s villains, <laughs> um, which I think too is um, uh, maybe I'm confusing this, but I swear like they mentioned night trap in this or like David Cage or somebody. Point being is like you know that it reminded me of that, but like Heavy Rain does not shy away from it's a mature game for you know yeah. adults for 17 plus people and people as early as four years ago are like eh, why is he using kids dying as a plot thing it's like are, it's a part of the fucking story you retard it's like <laughs> like what what did you sign up for did you think that this was going to be like like you thought you're just going to like solve the murder like oh, do, 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 do. like like i i can't stand the these people who want to like pull out the highlighter you know adjust their glasses mm. pull out the highlighter <laughs> And be like, well, if I were David Cage and I I would do a better job than him, you know, it this sort of like faux redoing of history, especially in light of the, the allegations where, you know, they were saying he was like he was sexually abused was the, the allegations were like he ran so the like it's silly. They're very silly allegations. Yeah, it's like, like... That, I think someone, someone not him on the team was like photoshopping some of the female employees so they had like big, big. Charlie XCX boobs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, like, and then and like, that's like, and that, and that was it. And I think he called, he said something about faggots and something about, oh yeah, he, something about some, women and his female characters. Oh yeah, he said that uh, someone claimed that uh, he's <laughs> David Cage said that he does not make games for faggots. To which he said, "That's right. I, I do. I I love everyone in the LGBT community. I they're fully welcomed <laughs> in my games." 
but imagine with a French accent. But like the, it's like I, you know, I'm trying to think about like quote unquote cancellations, and his sort of thing came in the post Gamergate landscape, and it's like the man was he was really rising up at, as a gamer. He was rising up. Uh, he was right. <laughs> he was rising up in sort of the the landscape. You know, he was getting funding from sony to make games that were different i mean detroit become human is a roller coaster ride of an experience where androids are treated like black people in the back of the bus (laughs) and like you are (laughs) like it is wild and insane like it like sony is funding this man to do this sort of experience and he's making millions off this and you know i believe even it was France gave him like the highest award for like basically like for the arts. And he was like the first guy for video games to get this like prestigious Mm -hmm. award. And then suddenly everything falls apart from these allegations. And now suddenly we have all these people coming out of the woodwork on YouTube or Twitter or wherever saying that this game is bad and, anyone who likes it is an idiot and anybody who Mm. likes it doesn't, you know, they don't know what good writing is. And I'm like, well, motherfucker, I think me, (laughs) I think me and Alex know what at least would make a compelling (laughs) video game narrative because I don't know, like heavy rain is like a truly engrossing experience. Like I always say like a good, a good game is one where I'm like, hugging the controller pretty tightly and i'm like yeah like on edge wondering what is going to happen and heavy rain is like this um, incredible like distilled experience where it's not solely about like getting the high score beating the chapter you know saving the day save you know save the princess whatever you want to say you know heavy rain is it it's you know, and, and this was like a buzzword at the time. It's melding cinema with movies. Hmm. It, it feels like a movie in a sense of how it's trying it's, to present present itself it's, and be played like. Yeah, absolutely, and it's art. It feels like art, and yeah. I think like the the greatest sort of um, barrier to games being treated like art has been the way that people treat game artists like i think david cage is a game artist mm-hmm. and even prior to the cancellation you see this really like a lot of the um articles coming out when the game was being developed and announced and the demos were being shown off and everything was sort of all about like focusing on his ego mm-hmm. and focusing on like him as like potentially like a potential sort of charlatan and I'm sure the ego is very real, but like that's something to be admired, really. And that's something that you see that they're really off put by these gaming journalists of the time. And then obviously in a very different landscape, they can appreciate Heavy Rain the product as it exists. And there was a lot of love for it when it first came out. But now you have like this very typical sort of Mm -hmm. cancellation saga where they it begins with like focusing on the you know problematic elements of 
um, all everything he's made, <laughs> which, uh, which if from that perspective there are many, the and I think I think the cancellation followed shortly after the sort of announcing Detroit Become Human, which it, it was about the same... what I recall at the time was like really criticized for the race stuff. Yeah, it, the allegations came out in 2018, and Detroit Become Human came out in 2018. I can't remember. I'm pretty sure the allegations came after. Uh, yeah, the game I think I saw out. an article that was sort of like this and this and this has been said about David Cage earlier this year. Uh, Detroit Become Human was become human was announced, and people noticed the uh, you know an unorthodox way it sort of seems to appropriate racial issues in America, blah, blah, blah. Um, but yeah, it's sort of, it's a way of like justifying these critiques that are ultimately unjustifiable, these ways of approaching video games and approaching any sort of media by these sort of problematics. And it's not, it's not a, it's not a worthy way of taking down movies or video games or TV or books or anything. Mm-hmm. So they need like a way of ending them from the ground floor. So if you mm-hmm. end David Cage, you don't even have to think about what's good about Heavy Rain. You just have to say, well, David Cage. And all these critiques, oh, yeah. the YouTube videos begin with like, oh, David Cage, you yeah. know David Cage. <laughs> yeah, like he he becomes enemy number one whenever you want to talk about, you know, Heavy Rain, Beyond Two Souls, Detroit Become Human, or even Fahrenheit slash Indigo Prophecy, you know, the, the game before Heavy Rain. It's he becomes sort of the sacrificial lamb as to say, well, actually, you know, this man who has been deemed as controversial and problematic, he's actually the reason why actually these games were never good. And we should have never given this man any sort of creative freedom. But it's Hmm. like, if, because I remember this as clear as day, because, you know, I was there, I played this, you know, you know, I don't know. Have you ever seen the tech demo that Quantic Dream did called Kara? Uh, it was uh, it was the tech demo. Oh yeah, dem- you should. Show me yeah, this one with the the robot. It was basically the. It was the tech demo, for them that was before Beyond Two Souls, but be, eventually, so many people loved it. Again, so many people loved the Kara tech demo that it became mm-hmm. Detroit Become Human. Like, yeah. people act as if this was never a thing. People act as if, though, like, oh, this just this weirdo, you know, this weirdo, uh, racist, homophobe, you know, sexist, whatever you want to call it. Oh, he just, you know, he just, you know, was abusing everyone and climbing his way through power. It's like, no, people genuinely loved his game so much that he listened to what fans wanted and gave them basically a game from just a one off little idea that he had. Like, you know, this sort of like, ref- this sort of like rewriting of history always bothers me. You know, especially with this case because it's like, I think people just don't understand that where this game comes from. It's not coming from a logic sense, a logical plot sense. It's coming from the emotional essence of an experience. It's about putting you in the shoes of these four characters it's about putting you in these do or die moments it's about telling you what would you do to say someone you love like 
Mm. Again, that is the tagline of the game. It is not trying to trick. I mean, it's, I get it's trying to like trick you in the emotional sense, but like it's presenting everything that you need to know yeah. with that one tagline, and you know exactly what you're going to get into, you know, to quote unquote win the game, whatever winning the game means for you uh when you play heavy rain you know and and heavy rain heavy rain just does so many fantastic ideas you know you mentioned uh that cut content you know beforehand the cut content where you know ethan is able to be sort of connected with the you know scott in a when ethan blacks out like that sort of thing works within the world of heavy rain even though it was cut but like that works within the world of this game it doesn't have Mm. to make sense it doesn't have to be like well why does ethan have this telepathic connection with the killer that makes no sense it doesn't have to make sense it makes sense in the emotional world it makes sense in the sort of feeling the feeling it just makes sense in the feeling yeah absolutely (laughs) it's regretfully cut from my perspective i understand sort of why it was cut because i think from what i read they received sort of similar criticisms for things that were in fahrenheit that sort of pressed you know mm-hmm. the boundaries of realism or but it's it was never never i think they know that it was never about realism but they like sort of hedging somewhat which mm-hmm. is fine for them to do I don't begrudge them for doing it, but it's sort of absolutely perfect. This idea that in him, in his son dying, basically in the presence of Scott, they've created this sort of psychic link that's causing the blackouts and he's having to navigate this dreamscape in order to sort of escape them. And that, and that one sequence where the crowds, he's surrounded by the crowds in the train station and then they all freeze and then everyone he touches collapses is mm-hmm. beautiful. It's fantastic. So to think that there were at one point in time more of these or something mm-hmm. similar along this line is sort of an amazing vision to consider. But yeah, it's all within it's all within the heavy rain landscape. It all makes sense within that emotional world. And I think the Kara thing is a good example that alongside all these contemporary critiques, there's no denying that both the lovers and the haters of David Cage <laughs> are feel are feeling something. They're feeling something. Yeah. They're really responding to what David Cage has intended. In the end, David Cage wins. You can try and <laughs> you can try and rebel, but David Cage wins. He's he's actually he's got you. Yeah. No matter what. Which I think knowing who he is and knowing where he comes from as a creative, as an artist, that's the entire goal. He wants you in his control. He wants you to sort of be thrust into situations or experiences that toy with you, tug at you, whatever it might Mm. be. I mean, if to go off the Kara thing, I remember being emotional as hell during the Kara, the Kara tech demo. I was like, this is really real. This is really vulnerable. This is really high emotion, melodrama as with heavy rain. And, you know, that is the David cage way and the haters and the losers as they try and might, they can't, they, 
they still lose because he's still making them mad. He's still making them upset when he's more or less just being an earnest person. He's presenting his world onto you. I mean, and I want to say that he's someone who is in tune with his emotional side. I think he's (laughs) very aware of what goes into a scene. I think he knows what, what goes into a scene and what is required to get a reaction. I think he's a great reactionary in a way, I guess you could say like (laughs) whether if it's someone who is praising the game or someone who is a violent hater of the, of his work, I think he understands how to make people feel something, which again Mm -hmm. is the central core of heavy rain that no one understands. Like, this game is not about a crime drama. It's about being a scared little rabbit being strung along, you know, the path to get to the ending. And for me, it is pushing Scott off of the, uh, the conveyor belt with Norman and uh, letting Ethan and Madison live out their happy life with Sean uh, in their uh, wonderfully uh, converted uh, uh, downtown like factory building slash apartment. Norman mm-hmm. overcomes his tryptocaine addiction, and uh, Scott is uh, Lauren spits on uh, Scott's grave. She gets her she gets her final uh, win over Scott. Like that is the sort of you know fun and brilliance of this game is that when you allow yourself to be open to heavy rain's message or heavy rain's goals or heavy rain's as experience, you see the brilliance of it. And it's saddened to know that he- quantic dream probably will never get this. It, I don't know if David cage will ever get the chance to make something on, you know, heavy rain or beyond two souls or Detroit become a human scale. I don't know if he'll ever get that budget again. <laughs> They're making a Star Wars game. God help them. I don't know how that's <laughs> going to turn out. But like, it's it's sad to know that a genuine creative force of the last 10 years in gaming has been sort of uh, been given the sort of uh, act, the but actually treatment when in reality it's like the choice is yours to either be a hater or a loser or a hater and a lover, I guess you could say <laughs> like, I don't know. It's like, I love, I, I genuinely love heavy rain and it, it, mm. it, it kind of saddens me to see how people have like flip flopped on this. Not because from what I think, not because of the game itself, but because they just want to be like, well, actually, I always didn't like the game. Actually, like it's yeah. like the I was I always knew about David Cage. Yeah, I I, I, I could sense it. <laughs> I knew it's how so bad this, I knew how bad this man was, but I just I couldn't do it. I just I knew had to do what was right in the moment. It's you know, like yeah, everyone wants to have their little redemption narrative for themselves, their own sort of moral fortitude. Yeah, and. <laughs> To, to, I mean, I guess, you know, to wrap up this heavy rain discussion, to wrap up the discussion about choice, I think the choice is for the listeners. Do you want to be 
a bitter hater of David Cage, or do you want to embrace Heavy Rain for what it is, a unique experience, a un- an engaging experience, a very touching and emotional, thrilling, suspenseful experience, or are you just going to be a bitter little hater, a bitter little loser, and cry cry on your YouTube video essay for two hours <laughs> saying how you actually are the greatest writer that games have. And if only you got the chance to make a game, it's like, no, just sit your, sit your fucking ass down and, and play this game, I guess. Uh, I don't know if you have anything else to mention about heavy rain, <laughs> Alex. No, you're absolutely right. Everyone needs to accept heavy rain into their hearts, into their minds. Mm-hmm. I, you know, it's just such a brilliant reintroduction to gaming for me because it was like everything i had heard was true everything it does it does the best that i could imagine and it's full of yeah it's just full of feeling it's full of emotion you will feel this game if you open your heart to heavy rain it will happily enter you and won't let go and there's no way to not be invested in it i think unless you're being a bitter hater loser and trying to rebel against it from the from the outset you will love heavy rain if you play heavy rain you will love heavy rain and you will love david cage and you will accept him as a supreme artist yeah i mean it's just time for people to stop the crying and the bitter loser mentality and just embrace this game and you know i think that's, that's honestly I think the best way to put it and I think that is where we will cut it for tonight.